This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. Yeah, I know, uh, Dizzy Izzy, this was not your choice. I don't mind it. Boys are back in town. I'm, I'm fine with it. Boys are back in town. We, oh. did, uh, we did Warren Zevon during my show. Oh, okay. Warren Zevon, Lawyers, Guns, and Money, Werewolf yes. of London. Yes. Lawyers, Guns, and Money. That's exactly what you need when you get caught with guns and illegal money that you have been laundering. You need uh, Hurry Up Murray up there in the Bronx. Rich, uh, Richmond? That's right. Who is the, uh, he's the lawyer for all the rappers and the hustlers. That's who you need. That should be his theme song. But, Anthony Weiner, the main story is the attack on Salman Rushdie. Looks like he's in really bad shape. He may lose his eyesight. He was uh, stabbed uh, right in his liver, major damage, uh, and uh, he's on a ventilator. Uh, so he had to be uh, uh, bivouacked. He had to be flown to Erie, Pennsylvania, to a hospital. He was in Chautauqua, which is a literary village. It's like yeah. these are people who would listen to NPR, read the New York Times, very peaceful. They're just there to uh, delve into great works of uh, art, literature, poetry. Last place in the world that you would think somebody would be attacked. Yeah. And he was actually giving a speech about the greatness of America, that you could be an author like himself, uh, ostracized, uh, under attack. And America is a sanctuary, a haven for artists, uh, for individuals. And then a 24-year-old guy from Fairlawn, New Jersey, attacks him. And uh, it's interesting, when he left England, he was under 24-hour guard by the Brits. Uh, he moved into your neck of the woods, Union Square. He lives in one of those high-rises. Uh, you're in that area. Bernard Getz is in that area. It's like uh, yeah. it's almost like a triangle of the infamous and the famous. Yeah. It's a real... It's a rogue gallery. No, but I do know that place. My, my friend Kevin was actually going to a, to a speech or a presentation or a spiritual retreat, something. It's a very kind of... It's, the, it's kind of the last place you'd imagine it being a vile environment. But you were saying he, he I, for a while he had protection here too. Didn't yeah, but not in, in when he was in the UK under the fatwa, which obviously was uh, sugared up uh, to three million dollars over his head uh, by the Ayatollahs in Iran. <clears throat> uh, when he came uh, to New York, you know, he was a featured uh, person on page six. You know, he would right. attend a lot of events, galas. Right. He had some high-profile girlfriends. Oh yeah, know. oh yeah, but. Uh, Wow, this is probably the last place in the world that he or anyone else would have thought that he might be under attack. And it's interesting, uh, we're sort of, I, I, I just want to draw linkage. We had Chris Rock, right, and Will Smith. Will Smith smacks him, the whole world sees that, no ramifications. Soon after, Dave Chappelle is attacked on stage at the Hollywood Bowl by that emotionally disturbed guy from Brooklyn. Then we see uh, Congressman Zeldin attacked by that emotionally disturbed veteran on the platform in front of the VFW Lodge in Monroe, which is nearby. And now this Chautauqua, this seems more of an organized attack. This guy's very sympathetic to the Ayatollahs. But, boy, in many ways, this reminds me of the uh, assassination of John Lennon in 82. And then all of a sudden, uh, celebrities, people of great renown, were no longer safe just walking the streets on their own. No longer safe doing Sort of normal things you would never think might lead to a problem. Yeah, but it's look, society. We're kind of like organized chaos, right? I mean, you can include in the mix the guy that, in the midst of all the news about the president, gets in his car and drives to his neighborhood FBI office and gets into you know tries to break in and kill someone. 
you know, you realize pretty quickly that there are people that function that are just on the edge. And at any moment, there's no way we can't be hermetically sealed. We can't, you know, these things go on. But I do get the same sense that maybe you do, that it's almost more accepted now. And maybe the examples you gave in pop culture, people literally walking on stage during the Oscars, that it's almost, or maybe that's just the impression I get because there's videotape of everything going on so much. But it is, it is disquieting at the very least that someone like this, I mean, I get to, I had not even said Salman Rushdie's name in 10 years. Yeah. I mean, I, I but it, it's, it's true. If someone is plowing through the internet and finds something that he doesn't like and then can easily find out where someone is, and before you know it, the last thing, I would be stunned if they had anything resembling security at a place like that where he was. Oh, so, first of all, the people would say, why do you have security? Right. We're all very peace-loving. Right. Uh, we're art- artists. Uh, we admire great works of literature. I don't think they've ever had uh, security at Chautauqua. Uh, it's about 70 miles south of Buffalo, between Buffalo and Erie. And it's like uh, on Golden Pond. You know, it's like yeah. a place where you would go uh, as a retreat. Uh, to hear people speak. But about isn't it, the- but it's true though, you know, we talk all, all the time, a government should do A or B. There is no certain, politicians don't like to talk this way, but government can't protect us all the time. You know, the, the one crazy guy who goes, goes to, to, and wants to do harm to someone can do it. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm reminded of that from time to time myself, you know, just the good thing about New York City, just to, to lighten it up a little bit, is we're, we're chirping at each other all the time and we're calling each other. We ha- we're kind of like molecules in a microwave. We're bouncing off each other all the time. We, you know, you know, generally speaking, it's the exception rather than the rule that someone goes and does something crazy in New York because we're always, we find so many ways to yell and scream at each other. But, but this was very, uh, was very jarring. Like I mentioned my friend Kevin. He doesn't even know if they're going to, if they're canceling events there because they have to figure out now what to do. Do they start to have, have, have security at, at a, a spiritual retreat? But you're exactly right. They probably never would anyway. Well, as a student of history, these things go in cycles. Uh, in the 60s, when I was growing up, we had the assassination of JFK, followed uh, soon after by Martin Luther King uh, Jr.'s assassination, RFK's assassination, the near assassination of George Wallace by a guy named Arthur Bremer, who came all the way from Milwaukee. The guy is having a campaign stop. He's running for president in a strip mall in Maryland, and I yeah. think he shot Wallace maybe six times, paralyzed him. But if you notice, uh, early in our history, um, in the uh, early 1900s, uh, all kinds of anarchists uh, were shooting and killing leaders all over the world, including some of our presidents. And so these things, they go on a cycle. And I think now because we're in a 24-hour news cycle, there are people who are on the edge. They see this. It's incredible amounts of attention like we've never had before. And if they're like partially over the ledge, this may push them completely over the ledge. I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think that there is also enough places you can look in today's today's Internet cesspool to find enough people that you agree with who you think you're being heroic. You know, you're being you're doing something heroic or something virtuous. Again, getting back to the guy that was killed trying to attack the FBI office in yeah. Ohio. Hmm. He was clearly believing that he had followers and people that were urging him to do this and that he was doing something heroic. Um, I think that that is, that's the underside of, of our society today is you can always find someone who's egging you on to do something crazy. For all we know, this guy found something that was written 10 years ago about Rushdie and like discovered this story for the first time and decided it was on him to go out and exact revenge on, 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 on behalf of his people. But whatever the thing is, it's horrifying. I hope, you know, again, I'm trying to read between the lines of the news stories. I hope he's just on a ventilator because his lung might have been hurt, and hopefully he will um, he will pull through. But but it sounds like it's very serious. He lost an eye. That must have meant he must have got either stabbed up up high. And I, yes. I read in, a, in an early version he was stabbed in the neck. And then stabbed in the liver. Right. And I'm wondering if the neck, if it was something to do with how they would, uh, who knows. But, um, but Well, I'm, he's I'm 75 years yeah. old. Yeah. Um, uh, he's so, uh, so far, he's uh, surviving this ordeal. But he is on a ventilator. I was on a ventilator when uh, I got shot back in June 19th in 1992. You don't want to be on a ventilator. You yeah. do not want to be on. We learned that from COVID-19, yeah. how many people were put on ventilators and then, it didn't really help them. They they ended up expiring while on the ventilator. Well, that, that turned out. I remember early on in COVID, 
that was the question you always ask someone. Are they being ventilated or not? Because you knew if that was happening, it was, they were on their last legs. Like that was like the, the last desperate thing. that. Well, that also, I, I think what people, they hear a person's on a ventilator. That is an instrument that has to be monitored constantly by a technician. I was lucky enough in Bellevue. I was only on it for a day and a half. There was a technician right by me in the ICU monitoring it. Because if it's not adjusted properly, your lungs will fill up with liquid and you will choke to death while you're on the ventilator. Well, aren't they draining it? I mean, I'm not. Well, yeah. I mean, but remember when we had the COVID-19 and there was such a a rush of so many patients and so many people on ventilators at the same time. We were saying, well, I thought this basically preserves life. But if it's not properly monitored, it actually can speed up uh, your peril. Uh, towards the point where you end up choking out on your own, your own vomit, your own, uh, uh, spit, so to speak. When, when you go in for your weekly treatments for your Eric Adams derangement syndrome. Yes. Do they provide you with enough care and attention <laughs> when you, when, and when you go through your, cause I've listened to some of your overnight work. I know you've got some issues with the man still. Oh. Maybe hypnosis would help. Well, I gotta tell you. It's not just me. Uh, I read page six every day, and I'm assuming, okay, maybe today they will not be profiling uh, the swagger man with no plan, Eric Adams, who was at some <laughs> nightclub opening last night, right? And he always is. And even if you notice now, page six editorializes on it. You know, they normally like this because they like right. it for the paparazzi, for the nightlife. But they even said in this last one where he was in your neighborhood at the Tacos Playhouse for the hip-hop anniversary, 49th anniversary, with KRS-One, Curtis Blow, Cool J, uh, DJ Red Alert. It was like, uh, maybe you ought to spend some time at City Hall. This is page six. I know. It's true. Coming You're... to this conclusion. I, I mean, nowadays, I monitor the hip places that I never go to anymore, obviously, just by watching where the mayor's going. I don't – look, we've talked about this before. He looks good. Nightlife is part of the thing. Huma said to me the other day, you would be doing this too if you were married. Are you kidding? I, no. First of all, there's no way. No way. There's no way. I mean, it, it, to the extent I now I might be going to the, you know, showing up by, by you know, showing up at, at Malavo Malka's in Borough Park or showing up at someone's bar mitzvah, the Manhattan Jewish Center, just to kind of be one of the men. But I would not be doing this. But I don't have a problem with it. So long as the other stuff is getting well, this done. this is the problem. The old gray lady, the New York Times, that has given Eric Adams the benefit of the doubt for, through the first seven months. They went out there, and their headline front page below the fold: "Anxious New Yorkers worry whether Eric Adams is the man for the moment." He has disappointed many. He's not delivered on almost anything, especially on law and order, public safety, and I got to tell you. Just walk in the streets, the garbage is everywhere. It's sort of like he has a woman named Tish in charge of sanitation. Now, you know the Tish family. What did she have, Jeeves, when she was growing up, pick up uh, the garbage? Not uh, fair, not fair. She is a real great public official. She was in the police department for a long time. I mean, she's a data person. I think that good, she's she's doing I Look, okay, where do I start? First of all, no one likes their mayor, for the most part, in bad times. And these are tough times, tough times economically. They're tough times with crime, et cetera. So I think we've got to grade him on that curve. But I will say this. I looked at some of the crosstabs, some of the polling in the, in the race in Manhattan between Maloney and Nadler, and I looked at his favorables in the, uh, on the island of Manhattan, yes. which is the bastion of democratic politics, is in the 20s. Yep. That's a real problem. So I think people are – I think he – I think his honeymoon period is ending. And I think that he does have to start to show results. Well, there's one one quick there's basic things he could do that will show that City Hall is doing something. We've discussed this before. Your brother, who is a restaurateur for many years, uh, has gone out of business. But even he was complaining about all these Well, let's sheds. be fair. He closed one restaurant. He hasn't gone out of business. He still has ah, plenty okay. of Okay. Uh, you've amended that. I've corrected <laughs> that. He, he hasn't gone Chapter 11, Deep Six. Uh, he's, he's not going to be not in a shelter. He's not on my couch right. or anything like that. <laughs> but all these unused sheds, they're everywhere in the city. Now, the ones that are being used, okay, that's great for the restaurants. They needed the extra boost, especially since so many were in peril during the lockdown and pandemic starting in uh, March of 2020. Wouldn't it be so easy for the city by an emergency order of the mayor 
and the Department of Health, Department of Buildings, you know, use every agency available. If you're not using the shed, we're taking it down. Already the law. That's the thing. It's already, you know, I actually made a mistake on this on an earlier show, and, and my brother Jason sent me all the regulations and rules. Has to be in consistent use. You can't just open on a Thursday, close in. It's got to be in use. And the standards are really tough. If they wanted to, they can send around Department of Buildings, Department of Transportation to close these things up in a hurry. And I think it should be a, a, a higher priority because a lot, a lot of them sprung up during the worst of COVID. People said, I don't want to go through the application process and basically just abandon them. I noticed in my neighborhood in the East Village, there are some that are set up that don't even seem to be outside of restaurants. They're just, they're yeah, just, they're further, they're further down the block and they're, they're a mess. A lot of them, now some of them are gorgeous. Some, some restaurants really do have yeah, and I would as an say opportunity. If you use it, you don't lose it. But if you're not using it, you got to lose it. Yeah. And it would take nothing. Now, remember, they had the encampments for the homeless people. And Eric Adams immediately went in and said, illegal encampments, uh, bulldozed it, took their stuff, threw it in the uh, trash, uh, and then brought them to shelters. You got to do the same thing with this. You got to say to the restaurant, look, we, we have people who said, you haven't used this in a, in a week. It's got to go. You, you're not making money on it. Uh, garbage is accumulating. People are living in there. People are shooting drugs. Uh, in the Greenwich Village, they're having sex, all kinds of sex. Well, and I'll tell you, and let's make a contrast here. What if you had parked your car for 15 minutes in one of those zones after the meter had expired or when there's a no, there's a loading zone or something like that? We have the enforcement muscle to go give you a ticket immediately when that happens. So these are spots that could be used for bike lanes. They could be used for people to park, et cetera. I agree. I, I agree. I, I think that that there should be a sanitation transportation thing that they they go around. They do the inspections to make sure that they're all up to standard. There's a lot of these standards that have been written, and there's no doubt in my mind it's within the authority of the city to go take them down. I am told, and you read these stories much more carefully than I, that there's stuff going on in there that's human on human yeah. uh, canoodling. Plato's uh, retreat. <laughs> it's canoodling that's going on. Hey, in it's there. incredible. If, in shack after shack, shed after shed. Whether it's heterosexual, whether it's homosexual, bisexual, it doesn't not, matter. No, here's what's happening. It happened once or twice. And the New York Post did it, and now it's become, oh, it's everywhere well, happening. Notice they've parked a police car to make sure it doesn't happen. Why waste that resource? Just go up to the restaurant to us. You're not using a pal. Sanitation is here. We're taking it down. Yeah, yeah I, 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 think, I, I think that they've got to go. I really am of two minds about the whole thing. Remember... We did all. We did a lot in the city in the emergency context of COVID and helping small businesses survive. I get it. Wanting people to be six feet apart. I get it. By the way, those regulations have now changed, so it's an argument that you don't even need these anymore. But putting that all aside, I don't know. We usually have such battles and such debates and such con- consultation whenever we use the city streets for anything, but not for this. This we let them pop up. We put a whole bunch of regulations in place around them, but we really haven't thought thought it through very much. I think that we should let local local community boards weigh in, and then we should go take down the ones that are. Yeah, and then we got to look at the scaffolds, because there's a public safety factor here. I've looked at a lot of the crimes, and this is my field of expertise. A lot of the criminals are using the scaffolds because it gets very dark there, you know, especially at night, to launch their attacks on people. In fact, if you've seen many of these shootouts, they occur when the gunmen are actually hidden underneath the scaffolds. So you really can't see them all that well, especially at night. There are a lot of these scaffolds that are up uh, with these buildings for no other reason so that the landlord can say, oh, you know, we're fixing uh, what needs to be fixed in the building. And you never see any work being done. These scaffolds have to come down. They're everywhere. Now, are you referring to episode four of Keys to the City? The, yes. The podcast that uh, that I did on this subject. And by the way, the one we do this week is about the failure of sin taxes in our city, the taxes that we put on cigarettes. A hundred percent. And it, by the way, there is a regulatory solution to the scaffolding. A lot of the scaffolding go up. For those who haven't listened to the podcast, we had a great guest talk about this. A lot of them go up because we have this crazy inspection regimen. And the moment they find a, 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 a repair that is necessary, even if it's not anything that has a loose brick or anything like that, the scaffold has to go up. And then it takes a long time to get approval for the inspection, to, for the work to get done. And then the scaffolding that's up is much bigger than it needs to be. You go to European cities and they just have nets, pla- thick plastic mesh nets that don't have the same effect. 
that is just one of the problems. Not only is there crime emanating from there, these these construction sheds are also where piles of garbage are tossed. Yep. And um, and it's really look, construction is good in the city. Progress is good. These these sheds, these these sidewalk restaurant sheds, all of these things are if when not paid attention to can create blight. And That's what's happening. The quality of life issues. Agree. Not difficult to deal with. If the mayor and his staff could show some success in these areas, people on their blocks, people who are going to transact business or going to restaurants will say, wow, this place is cleaned up. Wow, the city is really getting its act together. The longer these sheds stay up, the longer the garbage accumulates, the longer the graffiti is on the sheds, the longer they see the rats going in and out of the sheds the more people are just going to put their hands up, no mas, no mas. I, I think that's right. It just really does cast it. And, and you talked about the garbage at the top. You know, some of it is that our buildings are not as occupied as they once were. There's not as much foot traffic. There's a lot more abandoned stores, closed storefronts in the outer boroughs particularly. Um, it's a problem. It is a little bit of a leading indicator, isn't it? Like crime is, a li- is, an, is an indicator, but it's a little bit of a trailing indicator. Like by the time you have crime, you've lost a little bit of control. Garbage? You know, filth, graffiti, these are kind of leading indicators. These are the so-called broken windows that lead you to believe, okay, the city's going in the wrong direction. Well, when we come back, the big debate is congestion and pricing. They say they got their act together. They will impose it upon us probably at the end of 2023, and it has caused a fierce debate both here at WABC and in the streets of the five boroughs of New York City. It's Curtis Lee on the right, uh, Anthony Weiner on the left, if you missed any of Anthony's show in the middle. You can certainly get it on podcasts at wabcradio.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. It doesn't strike me that Anthony Weiner is an R&B guy. Why do you, why do you always hear great songs and then your first thing is to say, it doesn't strike me that Weiner would like this. I am indeed an R&B guy. I mean, I'm no like Bo Snurdly or anything, but I, I, I like me some. Now, I just, that song, if I were to critique it as a bumper song into an energetic conversation, is more akin to what you do and the great work that you do in the overnights. And I've been listening, by the way, you are... I mean, you're a magician with that overnight theater of the mind stuff. You know, I, I, I have newfound respect to you. I am, listen, Morano does a good job and I'm all about Team Curtis. But that's, that song, perhaps we might need a little more energy on a beautiful Saturday afternoon. That's all I would suggest. Uh, I would concur. It is much better for theater of the mind in the wee hours of the morning. So naturally, Dizzy Izzy, you have, uh, failed again in your responsibilities since Anthony left it to you. To choose a musical selection, so you're a dollar short and a day late. Although it is one of my all-time favorite jams. Anyway, great song. Let's get on to congestion and pricing because originally Governor Hochul said, "Don't count on it; it's going to be a while." And then she amended it, said, "We need it now for the MTA, which is bleeding money. They don't have enough resource to continue at the present level, and so now it's scheduled to be imposed probably towards the end of 2023." And right here at WABC, uh, the roundtable discussions hosted by John Katsimatidis and uh, Lydia Sorane, every time they bring it up, it's a contentious issue. They've had on Kathy Weil, who defended it, and John, the billionaire, said this is going to crush the middle class 
and the lower middle class. You're not you're not going to be able to revive Midtown. You're not going to be able to get people back into the city. Well, how about and, and you need the jaws of life to get an opinion out of Eric Adams. I can't I can't I don't know what his <laughs> position is on this. He's been great. He's been like I'm in favor of it so long as it doesn't hurt anybody and so long. I it is contentious. I have always been very very skeptical of it because I think that the part of this, and this is one of the things that did come out this week, is they finally revealed some information about what they think the, not the effect necessarily in in the business district of Manhattan, but the rest of the boroughs. Like, what will people do? What what would the environmental impact would be? And for the first time, they fleshed it out. And you know what's going to crush is the people of the Bronx is because the cross Bronx, they say, is going to be even more crowded. You know, it's like basically a standstill right now. Here's my problem with it. I get the idea that we need dedicated revenue for the MTA, and I get that a good way to do that is always when you're trying to get mass transit money, some kind of a tax on motorists I'm in favor of. That's why the gas tax works. We charge people the gas tax, build subways, build roads. That's the idea, kind of a use tax. The problem with this is overwhelmingly the source of traffic and congestion in the city is the trucks, not the cars, and they can spread out the cost of a toll or a congestion price over whatever is in the back of their truck. Everyone can pay 15 or 20 cents on whatever thing, whatever loaf of bread they've got there, and they can apportion it. If you're an individual nurse or an individual guy that has to drive in to repair someone's plumbing or something like that, some guy coming in from Brooklyn or Queens or someone that has a special needs kid that needs to be driven in, these are the people that are going to wind up getting hit. But I, I think that the biggest problem that you have on this thing, if you don't figure it out at the front end, it's going to have a creeping effect. That whatever you think they're going to charge, if they say, we'll get back to you on how we're going to do it, let us install it first, I say, no, don't do that. This is going to, it's going to fall on the outer boroughs. And they haven't even told us, you know, this is the, this is where Eric Adams' non-position comes in. They said there are going to be some exemptions, but we haven't figured those out yet. We'll get back to you on those. I'm very suspicious when that's the dynamic that they introduce. But I have no problem with saying let's charge people who are drivers more than non-drivers. I think that's a reasonable thing to do. Well, you know, interesting. Uh, there were very few things that I agreed with uh, Sheldon Silver on when uh, him putting thumbs up or thumbs down on any issue uh, could be a death sentence. And here was Bloomberg lobbying. He got everybody on board. They were going to impose congestion pricing, and all it took was Shelly Silver say, no, dead on arrival, ain't happening. Uh, I gave him a thumbs up then because that was the time it could have been imposed. The city was doing extraordinarily well. It was in a boom cycle. I could have just seen uh, congestion pricing being put into place. Now 60% of these office buildings are empty on a given day, Monday through Friday. means only 40% are occupied workers are there. You impose a congestion pricing on all the tolls, the fees, the fines, everything else, the parking. How are you going to encourage people yeah, to come but, back here? Well, you can argue it the other way, too, that if you do something that reduces congestion and improves mass transit, that does bring people back. You can argue it both ways because I think that a lot of people in the Midtown Business District will say, if you ask them, would you pay a little bit more to have less congested streets and better transportation, they'd probably say yes. Now, that would require people taking mass transit, but with a 90% increase in crime in the subways, and it's not looking like it's going down anytime soon, people are not wanting to take the subway. The subways are the veins and arteries of yeah, the city. Yeah, that's going to change, Curtis. That's going to change. All of this, by the way, remember, you know, congestion pricing is not going to start, one, you know, it's not going to like be, be in, in a week. It's going to take a little while to phase this thing in. And you're, we're always making decisions to build the city that we want. We should not be thinking about today as the status quo that's never going to change. I think it's going to, I think to some degree, it's it, they, these things, you know, it's the snake that's eating its tail. Is it that people are not sending their people back to work? Therefore, we don't have as many people on the train. Or is it, are they afraid? Or is it that they have, they have concerns about, about their safety? I mean, uh, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, who like famously thinks big thoughts, he like, he, he, you know, had to give an interview and said it's outrageous that people aren't back at work and he's getting killed for saying that because of course he doesn't always go in himself. These are tough decisions, but I think the mayor is on the right track. I think John Katsimatidis is on the right track. Having your impl- doing what you can to encourage people to get back into work will lead this to a, a cycle that'll make things well, better. Well, Jamie Dimon tried it. He was the first out of the box for Chase Manhattan. He insisted that all of his workers get back into their office building. 
They're building a monstrosity of 49th in, uh, between Park and Lex. It's not scheduled to be finished in 2025. It's like... What are you gonna? Who are you gonna put in there? There's nobody gonna come here to work. You always, we always say there's no one's gonna. Who's gonna work in there? Look at Lower Manhattan. Look at the look at the West Side. We always think no one's gonna go into these places, and then they get built. They start to compete with one another, but Anthony, and they do. The world has changed. You don't have to be in these edifices. You uh, don't have to be in these buildings. If you are sure that the world has changed forever, I'm not. I think that we are still in this post-COVID kind of sorting out period. I think that some people are going to choose to, they're going to, a lot of businesses, a lot of individuals are going to choose to come back. Might, might this be a different? I always, I am always amused by the number of death knells that people have rung over the years about cities, saying there's no reason. You know, the big suburbanization that happened in the 60s and in the early 70s, we saw the cities are never going to be the same. Well, and you fast forward 20 years, well, the cities are all uh, back. Let me make the prediction right now with congestion pricing because they're hell-bent on doing it. It will gut out uh, midtown Manhattan. It will devastate Manhattan economically. And the ones who will benefit, Brooklyn and Queens, all their business districts. You avoid having to pay congestion pricing by building businesses there, by transferring your businesses. If you notice, the only place that has had an increase in business is Brooklyn. Yeah, Many of the businesses from Manhattan have transferred to northern Brooklyn. You are assuming that people change their behavior based on these fees. Oh, absolutely. I don't know. Because of all these taxes, these fees, these fines. I don't know if they I think the people who are coming into the city by car are doing it because they can afford to do that. I I don't, I mean, look, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of of congestion pricing. I went, when, when I was running for mayor, I put out a different plan. I said, no cars get taxed. Only the trucks. Every truck you take off the road, and they pay no tax if they come in in the wee small hours. Now, would you also uh, tax buses coming in from Texas, the Greyhound buses <laughs> pounding the hound uh, to the Port Authority, which is, as you know, below 60th Street, so it would fall into that parameter. And I think you're referring to the migrants who have come here who are seeking asylum, who are being put rounded up. Basically, I was wondering this question. We actually talked about it last week. They're being paid to get on these buses. Yeah. They're not being forced to get on these. They're being paid to put on these buses, not knowing anywhere else to go, saying, I can go to New York City. And, by the way, for all the attention they're getting, and I don't know why the mayor, you and I have a different view on this. You do think the mayor should be giving it more attention. I think he should be ignoring it. I mean, it's a couple of bus full of people. It's like he, he waited for no, a bus. No, no, I concur with you. Yeah, he followed your advice, waited for a bus, asked all the press to come down there, and this bus, this bus. I would have, not have done that. Well, it I, turned uh, out there weren't, there was, the, the bus was, about half the people scattered. You know, scattered. Well, when you, we come back, we have to discuss who's getting the better of this battle between Abbott, his board of mayors, Hochul, who's now weighed in, saying, good, we want these migrants, we need workers, and Eric Adams, who, depending on the hour, changes what he says about uh, bringing migrants in and giving them services. It's left versus right. Yours truly, Curtis Sliwa, Anthony Weiner. Every Saturday from 3 to 4 and following us at 4 o'clock is another documentary series on the blackout by Chris Libertini, who wasn't even birthed at that time. So, you know, tonight when I do uh, 12 to 6 until the break of dawn, I am going to be redoing it because I live through the blackout. And I will fill in all the voids that were created in this one-hour documentary. You don't want to miss it because then I'm going to come back and I'm going to do uh, – Extra credit on it here on WABC. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Oh, this is more Anthony Weiner's speed. Yeah. You see, it's got a flow to it, but it has nothing to do with folks coming into our country. I would have thought, what about uh, West Side Story? Isn't it great to be in America where everything is free? Oh, that's right. You couldn't say that now, right? That's not politically correct. Leonard Bernstein conducted that, the most liberal progressive guy going. But anyway, let's get back to. Uh, anyway, isn't track. Bradley, Bradley Cooper's portraying uh, Leonard That's Bernstein right. in this upcoming movie? He's doing the movie. version. But remember, West Side Story, which was yeah. 
created by liberals and progressives to show how Puerto Ricans had integrated themselves with being rejected right. in old San Juan Hill, which is where Lincoln Center is. That's that song, Everything Free in America. Yeah. You couldn't do that now. <clears throat> by the way, I not to get diverted from the subject you want to talk about, but um, on the night I proposed to Huma, we went, I took her to, to, the, to a, to a uh, revival of, of West Side Story because I was trying to make, like, lay the foundation. You know, she's Muslim. I'm Jewish, she's dignified and classy, and I'm a schlub. And uh, throughout the play, I'm kind of elbowing her, like, hey, look look at this, this is this is us. And she had no idea what uh, I was talking about. Uh, no idea. She was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Sharks, jets, did yeah, it get to that exactly. point? <laughs> when you're a shark, you're a sh- When you're a jet, you're a jet from your first cigarette to your last game. Whoa. Or as jet fans in football. Oh, don't, please, God. Jay! No. E-T-T-S, schmucks, you don't even know how to spell Jets. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about us losing our quarterback yesterday. Oh, well, look, that guy, what mama drama. He is a Mormon guy, right? Supposedly. He's having a relationship with his mom's friend while having a girlfriend. Uh, oh, and not focus on on football, and now he may be out for the rest of the season. So anyway, immigration. Look, Port it's, it's on the screen today. now. Adams versus Abbott. I, I, you know, I, I, yeah, I think I know where you're going to go with this. If I were Adams, I would, you, you know, there's a rule in politics, always be talking about what you want to talk yes. about. And this, he's getting sucked into this immigration thing for no good reason. And now Hochul, who I think, I think I kind of understand where she wants to talk about it because she wants to talk about anything but crime. Um, I really, I would not be handling this the way. If you're going to have a fight with the governor of Texas, and, and you know what the problem is? Adams believes he is presidential timber. Yes. And so he's looking to have a fight that seems like he's punching up. He's not. He's punching down. And I think this is a big mistake. Well, really big notice mistake. the Abbott people, they're giggling. They're happy. They love it. He went for the debate. Now, remember, Abbott was in a very close race with Beto O'Rourke because of Uvalde. And right. Abbott did not handle that well. So we're not following Texas politics. It's six-point differential, but... Say what you want about Beto. He's a good campaigner. He almost took it to Ted Cruz in that uh, U.S. Senate race. He barely lost. So all of a sudden, Abbott is sending people on the buses, the migrants, to Washington, D.C. He's happy with that because, obviously, the federal government is not at all responding. They're not taking the bait. The mayor did. Oh, we're overwhelmed. And then all of a sudden, our mayor jumped in. One bus. Forty, forty. Migrants coming in, only 14 arrived here. The rest got off at stops along the way, and he he blew it up into a huge issue. Wait a minute, but, you're, but Curtis, you're flip-flopping. Last week you said that Adam, Adam should go down to the border. Oh, to the border, and, but not to the Port no, Authority. You don't want to be talking about this issue for a couple of reasons. One, it's a federal issue. Two, it's you don't want to, you know, he has other things that he should be focusing on and talking about. And you have already lost the debate if you're Adams and you're talking about immigration because that's what the right wing wants to talk about. That's what Lee Zeldin wants to talk about. That's what Fox News wants to talk about. And Adams – and the other problem I have with the way Eric Adams is handling this is he's not bringing very much to the table. I'm going to send down New Yorkers to – campaign against you. That should be the best thing. Abbott should be thrilled about that. I am that. telling you that Beto O'Rourke is saying, please, don't don't send no, I know. It's, the it's... migrants back down with New Yorkers knocking on doors. Yeah, I mean, Texans are not all that fond of New Yorkers. I mean, it's like Beto O'Rourke is saying, please don't have Anthony Weiner endorse me for the same reason. <laughs> you know, but but I, I mean, if I, I think it's a mistake. Now, if Adams wanted to do this, and this is something that is a, that that I would hope maybe he'd be open to, Give us your 10-part plan on what you think Congress should be doing to solve this problem. That's fine. If he wants to have a substantive conversation, but now it's like, it's, it's, first of all, you can't say don't make these people political pawns and then do photo ops when they get out of the, off the bus at, at, at uh, Penn State, uh, wherever they're coming in. Um, it just, that's not nice. It's, uh, it's wrong. It's wrong. These people are being dehumanized and they're being exploited. If Abbott's going to do that, that's on him to do it, but you shouldn't participate. I would tell my commissioners, like, treat these people the way we treat anyone in need in our city. Get them services that they need. Don't, like, this idea of, like, we need government help. It's a busload, a couple of busloads of people. We don't need government help. Of course. And the fact is he's appealing to Washington, D.C. The Biden administration is not getting back to him. 
Because if they send money here to care for those migrants, then other cities are going to say, and what about us? We have those migrants that are coming into our cities north of the Mason-Dixon line. Because once they get to Texas and Arizona, most want to move on. they got family, friends, associates in other places. Well, that's what's inhumane about all of this is that – is that I believe many of these people are getting on buses, some of them with children, because they believe that there is a better life for them in New York. And by the way, there is. If you're within the sound of my voice, your life is better in New York than it is in Texas in a thousand different ways. But they're being exploited. They're being manipulated. They don't know any better. And if I'm Adams, I'm like, yeah, any any governor that wants to have their people or their residents come to New York will We'll do our do our very but best. But the other problem in this is he's bending over backwards for the migrants. So your typical shelter residents, as he calls them, clients, predominantly from New York, they're looking at the migrants who are coming in. They're being processed at the Bellevue, uh, Bellevue uh, Homeless uh, Outreach Center. They're saying, wait a second. The migrants, they're getting put up in hotels. They're getting better accommodations than us. They're getting better food than us, better clothes. They're in the easy pass lane. We, we're Americans. We're not getting the same services, and we're not being treated the same way. I'm not sure. There's not a special program here for these migrants. Now, some of them are being handed off to nonprofits that specialize in certain types of populations. Catholic charities who wants to fill up their pews on Sunday. Could be. Let me me give you an idea, because obviously you weren't raised in the Catholic Church. So on Sundays, you have the English Mass. I can roll a bowling ball through and maybe hit three people. Then you have the Spanish Mass. The place is packed to the rafters. Without Hispanics coming from Mexico, Central America, the archdiocese, the churches, many of them will have to close. They won't have any parishioners. This is like a new flow of parishioners. So Catholic Charities is ahead of the line. They want to bring them in because the majority of them from Mexico and Central America are Catholics. Dominican Republic, they're Catholics. So they're getting government contracts, and they're nourishing their Roman Catholic population. Well, that was also true. When I led the fight back in the day to keep these parish schools from closing, remember when the archdiocese was closing them down, there were two groups of people in the audience, you know, joining in and trying to – one is the older retirees, Irish Catholic, who remembered this is the school that I went to, my kids went to, keep it open, it's important to have it in our – and the other group were the parents of these kids, and they were Spanish-speaking. They were, you know, to, to, to uh, apropos of, of what you were saying, I don't, I think there are a lot of people that believe, and I believe this is the consensus in the country, in fact, that solving our problems of immigration is a humanitarian thing. There's, yes, I mean, we're going to, there's, there's, there's public safety issues involved, but uh, fundamentally these are human beings who are fleeing oppression, who are f- fleeing problems where they are, and we should try to, to handle it. Right now, I don't think either Abbott, I think definitely don't think Abbott is trying to solve the problem. I think Adams engaging in the public back and forth is not trying to is not helping. Well, look at Hochul. But at least at least he's doing the right thing in providing services for these people. Right, but Hochul jumps in. She waits, and then she says, "Oh, I walk the streets of Manhattan. I walk the streets of Albany. I see all these, uh, you know, uh, wanted. We want uh, workers. The workers wanted signs. I go upstate to the dairy farms to the other farms. They don't have enough laborers." This would be perfect. We can use these migrants to not fill these all these. Mi- you see, now that's not what she's saying. What she's saying is we have to fix our immigration laws because immigration is the way we do business in New York City and New York State. And right now, look, let's remind something. Let's remind all the listeners that members of Congress, like Lee Zeldin, have been not sitting down and solving this problem fundamentally because the right wing of the Republican Party has killed anyone who even thinks about trying to reform these laws by calling them uh, believers in amnesty. It is really on the burden of people like Zeldin to say, here's what I have done over my years in Congress to try to solve this problem. And if people say, well, I want to build a wall, great, okay, but what are you going to do to solve the problem of the people who are coming in here all the people who are here undocumented well, who are working, notice all how, the people that we need. And notice, that's what Hoka was saying. Notice how sides have switched. When Ronald Reagan was president, Republicans believed, let them in, it's cheap labor. Republicans were pro-immigration. 
Democrats were not. It's taking work from union. It's like Cesar Chavez said, I don't want uh, migrants here because it's going to affect my workforce in the field. This, now it's gone full circle. Yeah, but it was always a fraud issue. When I worked in, on Capitol Hill in the 80s when the last time we did a big legalization, legal immigration thing, like quotas, who's going to come from where, work visas and everything else. It's always tough. Like you're always, you know, between the far, the anti-immigration people, the the big businesses. But there was a coalition to be made that I believe is still there. The problem is the politics has gotten so fraught. You know, Marco Rubio will never be president because he sat down as part of a coalition to try to work this out. And that's the that's on the Republican side. And Lee Zeldin has some has some answers. He's got some questions about what his record has been on this because he has been afraid of his shadow on dealing with immigration in a reasonable way for the state of New York because he doesn't want to be accused of amnesty. Anyway, it's Anthony Weiner on the left. Yours truly, Curtis Lee, on the right. If you missed any of the one hour individual show that Anthony does preceding this uh, in the middle. From 2 to 3, you can get it on the podcast, like all the great podcasts here at WABC, and obviously this program, too. And you don't want to miss what follows. It is the documentary, I think, episode 12, about the blackout in 77, of which uh, the director of this, uh, Chris Libertini, wasn't even born. So listen tonight between 12 and 6, the other side of midnight. I'll fill in all the voids because I lived through it. This will just be your hors d'oeuvre. I'll give you the entree at about 2 o'clock in the morning. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Uh, ah, Anthony. Somebody's a little too big for their britches. They just had their number retired at City Field. Keith Hernandez, one of the greatest first basemen of all time. I mean, he completely fielding, throwing, field general, hitter, leader in the clubhouse, leader on the field. Now as part of the broadcast crew, and I will say that the Mets broadcast crew is better than ours, the Yankee broadcast crew, uh, a, a lot better. I like Michael Kay. But... Now all of a sudden he says, "I don't want to do Philly, Philadelphia, Philly games." Okay, you you don't want to do Philadelphia, Philly. Is this like the person who says, "Please take the red M and M's out of the bowl. I need my kiwi peeled appropriately." What a diva! And Philly is actually doing quite well. And did it in related news? Did I say Kyrie? Was it Kyrie Leonard? One of them, one of these. Kyrie big, Irving. Kyrie Irving. Didn't I think he said he wanted to negotiate a contract. He plays no more than 60 games yeah. and won't play any back-to-backs. I got to tell you, these guys, boy. But I, I didn't understand, is it just a general antipathy towards Philly? Which I kind of share. But <laughs> I understand that. But they're actually doing quite well. You yeah. have the Mets, you have Atlanta, and Philly that's he been also, on a tear. He also criticized their defense, and they had a great play at the plate yesterday that cost the Mets their game. But, uh... Yeah, a bit of a diva there. Bit well, of a diva. because you just retired his number. Now, let's look to the Yankees. Paul O'Neill, not vexed. Some people still don't know he's been doing the broadcast with Michael Kay and David Cohn on television from his home in Columbus, Ohio. They will not allow him in Yankee Stadium. Nowhere. He can't even get a dirty water hot dog in Yankee Stadium. One of the greatest of all time. They're going to retire his number. And you know what they've told him? We may not be able to have anybody come out on the field and meet you if uh, if Cheetah decides he's going to show up or Mariano Rivera or any of your teammates. They're not going to be able to come up to you. They can't reach out and shake your hand. You're basically going to be bubble boy. We're going to put you in a bubble with your family. We're going to give you salutations and greetings. We're going to let you talk from a podium right by the pitcher's mouth. But we're not going to let anybody come out of the dugouts and surround you and pat you on the back and congratulate you for being one of the greatest Yankees of all time. Anthony, this is crazy. This is insane. This is also the week that the CDC, I think, updated their protocols that now this whole six-foot thing, all those stickers yeah, that are in the, that are on this, the, the floors of, of Dunkin' Donuts all over the country. I agree. 
I agree. I get, I guess there is this thing now that it's too late to change it or it, I don't understand it. Well, it's so stubborn. Look, you're having your old time, uh, old timers game coming up at City right. Field. They're going to actually play. So yeah. they're going to let the old timers fall down, trip over one another. <laughs> uh, it's going to give the fans a thrill. They come to an old timers game. They know it's going to be two, three innings, but at least you get to see your favorite Mets over the years. I give credit. To Stephen Cohen, your owner, who should really be in federal prison for insider trading information. But you know what the Yankees just did for the old-timers game? They, they didn't let they, them play. They, they can't because so many of the old-timers were not vaxxed. So they couldn't even come out onto the field. The players, the regular players, you know, the Aaron Judges of the world, the Stanton's, the rest, they couldn't even come out. But in the meantime, in the meantime, I went to the ball game on the Cincinnati game on what day was it? Tuesday, uh, Wednesday with, with Jordan. I didn't see any vestige of anything COVID related in our entire experience from going in, getting the tickets to being where we were. It, it I, it's surprising that it's still an issue because it certainly doesn't look it from the fans perspective. It's crazy. Yeah, I would agree. It's, I would agree. It's stubbornness to the umpteenth. Now, you'd think Dr. Fauci, Washington Nationals fan, who recently got booed, by the way, at the game. Oh, man, did he get booed. Time to retire, pal. But you would think Dr. Fauci, who is a baseball fan, would say to the owner and operators of the New York Yankees, Randy Levine especially, who I hate, I loathe, I despise him. You know why? For getting rid of Kate Smith uh, during the seventh oh, inning right. stretch in 2017, singing "God Bless You're America," still holding a grudge, which you? was the the wish upon the death of George Steinbrenner Let Sr. It go. But anyway, the point is, you would think he would call up Randy Levine on the Yankees, say, "Hey, enough of this." Oh, that's not Fauci. That's not Fauci. What it should be is Wait, Adam, the head of the Adams, CDC. What Adams should do, yeah, but this isn't uh, this is a city issue because it's a city park. Adams should say, "Listen, we're going back to square one." Everyone, just be smart. By the way, this COVID that's out there that Dina has right now, it's it is it's everywhere. But I I think you got you. I think we all are at the place now that we're ready to move on from these things. Yeah, but you think Paul O'Neill? He's gonna have to be Bubble Boy on the pitcher's mound. The present Yankees can't come up and meet him and greet him. His old timers, right? Great pals, brought us a lot of joy, a lot of World Series victories. They have to stay. Like a hundred feet away in hazmat suits, they're going to have them all come out in hazmat yeah. suits. Yeah, and then he fans. gets to talk to all the Yankee fans from a podium, and nobody's around him at the pitcher's mound. This is absolutely insanity. I got to give I got to give the Mets credit. They're going to have an old timers game with an actual old timers game, and none of these fake, phony, fraudulent, fugazi regulations. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly two million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.